Good morning, loved ones. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to be in other passages, but 1 Corinthians 15 is where I think the majority of my sermon is. If I brought the right sermon. So um, thank you, everybody that read. That was awfully nice, and um, what a great uh, passage in Luke um, where these men's hearts burned when Jesus was talking with them. And um, wow, I mean, what, what a testimony that uh, I, I hope we can have those moments that when we read the word, that our hearts just, they, they, they burn. We, we, we feel that, that Christ is, is uh, conversing with us. And uh, so, and thank you for uh, breakfast. And uh, it was great. And everybody that helped clean up, you know, what a blessing this morning has been so far. So let's get into his word now and uh, receive even greater blessings from Christ our glory, Christ our King forevermore. Let's pray first. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you, Father, for all that he has done for us. For we've seen, as he talks to his disciples, his body given for them, the blood of the new covenant. We've seen his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey where he comes in to make peace with you for us. We saw Friday the glory of his crucifixion as he is the Passover lamb. And today, Father, may we see him as our glory, our hope of glory, the resurrected king. So, Father, please open our eyes, open our ears to hear your word, Lord, that you may be glorified in every way, Father, please let your spirit fall upon us that we would see Christ much clearer today. Father, be with those who are not here, those who have family that are sick, that are with them, those who are ailing with body pains and body aches. Father, those who are just not here, be with them today also. Father, thank you for such a glorious day that we can celebrate today. We ask that all glory be given to you in your name. Amen. So we are people who like certainty, right? We like things that are certain. And we live in a world of uncertainty. It's a crazy world, right? We have wars taking place. We have even unrest within our own country where we have disagreements on the borders. We have disagreements within Washington. We have politicians fighting. We have domestics within the homes. We have problems figuring out what kind of gender we are. We, we do not live in a world that is concrete. But for the Christian, but for the Christian, one thing that is certain that we can not only historical fact, but in our faith that we have certainty in is the gospel, right? The life, 
the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And that is where we put our hope. And that is the hope of glory that we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this world, the Christian should not have hopelessness. This is not where we live. We live with hope. And our hope that the Bible talks about is a certain hope. It's a guaranteed hope. But Jesus does tell us, and God's word does tell us, that trials and persecutions will come. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount tells us that we are blessed if we are persecuted in Matthew 5. Jesus tells his disciples in the upper room discourse in John 13 through 16 that they will have trials and tribulations. But take joy, for he's overcome the world. Paul, with everything he went through, he calls his trials and tribulations momentary light afflictions. And in Timothy, as Paul writes to Timothy, they say all those who desire to live godly life will be persecuted. So it should not come upon us as something that's crazy when hardships come and trials come and persecutions come. Jesus said they're going to come, but that should not waver our hope in the gospel, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the tomb remains full and Jesus not out of the tomb, then our faith is in vain. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 15. He says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. But the tomb is empty. The body's not in the tomb. Myths say that it got stolen away. But it didn't get stolen away. Jesus came out of the tomb. Therefore, as Christians, he is the hope of glory for us. He is the hope of glory. So what's it mean that Jesus came out of the tomb? He had to be risen. His death on the cross would have been in vain if he didn't come out of the tomb. He had to come out of the tomb. This means that Jesus has conquered the grave. The grave cannot hold him. Romans 6, 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He's out of the tomb. He conquered the grave. That means God's wrath is satisfied. That was the whole thing in the Old Testament. When they came with the Old Testament, they would give offering after offering after offering, and that merely covered sin. But Christ being the perfect Passover Lamb of God, His death was for all sin, for all time, for all who will believe in Him. But He needed to come out of the grave. The grave proves that He was this appeasement he was this satisfaction he was the propitiation for our sin god's wrath no longer is on the believer but on those who are unbelievers john 3 at the end tells us this that the wrath of god abides on you 
But for us, God's wrath is satisfied for those who believe. Romans 3.25, whom God put forward, this is Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a satisfaction by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. The Apostle John in 1 John 2, 2, he writes, He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the appeasement. He is the one who has satisfied the Father's wrath. And we have to understand that our sin was so grievous against God that it was an eternal sin that it took an eternal sacrifice to pay that debt that we owed. We could never pay it. We could never pay it. So Jesus not only conquers the grave, he doesn't only satisfy God's wrath, but he is a living Savior. Look at all the other religions. Joseph Smith, dead. Buddha, dead. Muhammad, dead. But Jesus, alive. He's the only one that's come out of the grave. And we see this in some testimonies in the, in the Bible. The angel's testimony in Luke, we read it. In Luke 24, 4 and 5, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? The angels knew Jesus was alive. Why do you seek the one living? He's not here. He told you he was coming out. He was going to rise from the grave. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus in John 20. says, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Could you imagine that that's what Jesus, he probably came to Mary and she was weeping. And we can only imagine the most tender voice, can't we? The most tender voice as he, he comes up to this dear woman who he cast many demons out of. He comes up to this dear woman and he looks at her and he says, why are you weeping? You know, he comes into her hurt and he says, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Wow, Mary must have just been lit up. When she heard that Mary, she understood it. Isn't it? It's kind of interesting, right? Because in John chapter 10, the good shepherd says he knows his sheep and he calls his sheep, right? It's the same thing. We hear that same thing when Jesus calls us to himself. Martin. Oh, that's Jesus. Steve. Brenda. We know that voice. That's our Savior. Mary knew the voice of her Savior. She knew the voice of her King. And it was instant. She knew he wasn't the gardener because she recognized him. So we have Mary Magdalene's encounter, and then we have the disciples. The disciples' experience in John 20 also. It says, eight days later, 
his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them because Thomas was the one that doubted, right? He wasn't really sure about this whole thing. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands. Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas's eyes were fixated upon his Savior. He put his fingers into his hands, and he, puts it, he thrust his hand into his side where the spear went in on Jesus on crucifixion. And Jesus says, Thomas, you believe because you have seen, but how about all of you that sit here at Faith Bible Church who are believers that believe and yet you haven't seen? I've never seen the hands. I've never seen the side. I've never seen the feet. I've never seen the scars. But yet Jesus says this, blessed are you. Because we believe. We have the eyes of faith. Because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. He makes it real to us that our Savior is alive and He is living. And we have these eyewitnesses and these accounts that we can rest in. So Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has satisfied God's wrath. And we have a living Savior. And He is resurrected from the grave. So what's that mean for you and I? For you and I, that means we have this hope of glory. Because one day, we will all sleep unless Jesus comes back. But on that one day, Jesus will come and he will resurrect us. We will be resurrected. Well, what will that look like? That'll be crazy, right? So if Jesus is going to resurrect us, that means, first of all, that we have been united with him in a resurrection like his. Not only his death, but his resurrection. Listen to Romans 6, 5. For we have been united with him in a death like his. So when Jesus dies on the cross, we die with Jesus. We are united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We are united with him in a resurrection. Death has no power over us. We should not fear death. If you're an unbeliever, you should be absolutely frightened that you're going to die. Because all that awaits you is the wrath of God for eternity. But if you're a believer, oh, death, death is our door to heaven. We should not fear death. We should welcome death as believers, right? Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we get for our sin. But listen to this. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what we have, brothers and sisters. You're united in a resurrection like his. Guess what? Eternal life awaits us. This is the free gift of God the free gift of God. We've been united in a resurrection like his. Death doesn't have any power over us. We are made alive in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2 is very clear that we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And then we go to verse four, it says, but God being rich in mercy with his great love made us alive in Christ. He gave us life in Christ. 
That life lives in us. We are made alive in Christ because Christ lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, that's Adam, by one man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. We're made alive in Christ, united in a resurrection like his. You know what this also means? Is our bodies will be changed. How many of you wake up in the morning and you have something new that hurts? <laughs> and you wake up and you're like, why does that hurt this morning? Right? I mean, we all, you two might not have that because you're young. <laughs> but we, we have that. You're like, we roll out of bed and we're like, oh, man. I, I got to get out of bed because I don't want to hurt my back. And I'm like, I got to go to work today. But our bodies, our, our bodies are, are failing. These bodies are failing right? But the apostle tells us that while the outer man is perishing, the inner man is being renewed daily, right? The inner man is being renewed daily. These are going to fail us. These are going to fail us. But our bodies will be changed. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable, It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, And the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And that is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of the heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Wow. This is crazy. Let's look at it really quick. Really quick here. Perishable to imperishable. Right? Our bodies will be perishable. So imperishable. Raised imperishable. No more sickness. No more diseases. No more aches and pains. Nothing. We're raised imperishable. We have new bodies. Nothing hurts anymore when we get to heaven, when we are raised with Christ, when Christ raises us. Our bodies are sown in dishonor, but are raised in glory. There's no more shame over sin. No more shame over our sin. We won't have to worry about that, right? Remember a couple weeks ago when I said when, when, when Jesus dies on the cross, he takes, he takes the, the power of sin away and he takes the penalty for sin away. But see, when we are raised, when Jesus raises us in the resurrection, we will have no shame over sin because you want to know what? The presence of sin is no more. We won't even have to battle the presence of sin. No shame, in our sin. Weakness becomes power. Temptation doesn't affect us anymore. We are not, we, we are not weak to the temptation anymore. But we have power. There's no more weakness when it comes to sin. The natural body is a spiritual body. No more limitations. No more limitations concerning time and sphere. We are limited people, aren't we? 
we are limited. We have a limited amount of time that we're going to live. But when we have eternal life, oh, we put on the spiritual body. Imagine the spiritual body. The spiritual body will be able to take in the waves of God's glory every time it comes. We'll be able to take that in. We can't take that in now. I mean, even Moses, right? Moses, when he says, God, show me your glory. God shows him his backside of his glory because you can't look upon my glory and live. But in the resurrection, when we're home, when we're in heaven, we will have bodies that will be able to take on this glory as wave after wave after wave of that glory comes to us. We'll be able to see it because we'll have spiritual bodies. This is what that means. We will bear the body, the the image of the man of heaven, and that is Jesus. Now, what will that look like? I don't know. I haven't got a clue what it'll look like. Not a clue. But we can get, not even an idea, but we're going to read these verses anyways. So Philippians 3, 20 and 21, this is what Paul says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body. Right? That word lowly can be translated vile. So he's going to transform. We know this much. He's going to transform our lowly bodies, our vile bodies, our sinful bodies, this natural body that we got from Adam, that we inherited from Adam, from the dust. He's going to transform that body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And in 1 John 3, he says this, So what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. So we can surmise a little bit that we're going to be like Jesus. We're not going to be God, but we're going to have a body like Jesus. We're going to have a glorified body with no aches and no pains in the resurrection. But if Jesus does not come out of that grave, none of this is true. We all are just food for the worms. That is it. But he's came out. Our bodies will be changed. Not only that, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gives us encouragement to continue in the faith well, to fight the good fight, to keep the faith, to run the race. That's what it gives us. It gives us encouragement to do that. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain because of the resurrection, because we have a hope of glory, because Christ has came out of that tomb. Brothers and sisters, listen to this. Jesus, the God-man, has come, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, 
fully obedient to God the Father. He was nailed to a cross, bore our sins in his body, paying the debt that you and I owed God for our sins. He drank the full cup of God's wrath for those who will believe in him. He died, was buried in the tomb, three days later, victoriously raises out of the grave, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules. That is your gospel. That is your king. Therefore, you and I, trusting in this precious gospel, repenting of our sins and turning to Christ, trusting his perfect sacrifice for our sin, we will have these glorious resurrected bodies. We can glory in the resurrection. But for those of you who sit here today that are not believers, the gospel that I just told you is for you. Christ has come. He has lived that perfect life for you. He has died for your sin. Not just some, but all of your sin. He took God's wrath for you. He came out of the tomb that you would be justified. He sits at the Father's right hand and he rules and he intercedes for all those that believe. But for you, if you don't know Jesus, today is the day for salvation. Come to him now. Repent of your sin. Turn to him that he will save you. God desires that no one should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. Hear his voice calling you to him. Be drawn by his cords of loving kindness. See the glory of the cross. See the glory of the resurrection. And come to him today. But for those of us today who have put our trust in Christ, may you and I rejoice first in that the tomb is empty and our Savior lives. And secondly, may we rejoice today knowing that since the grave could not hold Christ, it will not hold us. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death has no sting. The Christian lives forever. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your blessed gospel. And Father, I pray, Lord, that if there's any here today that aren't yours, that don't know you, that, oh Lord, you would draw them to you. You would bring them to repentance, Father, that you would show them their great and grand need of you. And for us here today, Lord, that do know you, May we marvel, may we stand in awe that the tomb is empty, that our Savior lives, that he has overcome the grave, and that he has satisfied your wrath for us. In your name, amen. Please stand as we sing our last song.